Welcome back to the Cult House Podcast. I'm your host, the scholar of spite and the Saturday Night Delight, Roger Riddell. Joining me today, he is the longtime vocalist of Death Metal Legends Cryptopsy. He is the host of the Vox and Hops Metal and Craft Beer Podcast. He is an early childhood educator, and he also does some voiceover work in video games. He is Matt McGacky. How are you doing today, Matt? Very good, Roger. And you nailed the last name. Not many people get it. You got it. First try. I like it. Yeah, I've got pretty good luck at doing that. Uh, I don't know why, but for some reason, uh, I've, I'm like a savant at uh, enunciation. <laughs> That's, I'm, I'm, I'm Seinfeld's back on Netflix, right, for the first time, and that reminds me of George trying to spell everyone's last name. I don't know if you remember that episode. <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've probably seen every episode of that uh Oh, at I love least it, five or six times yeah, and yeah. Uh, every time that i've watched them again I, I find new things and i wonder a little bit more why anyone continues to be friends with george or any of them they're horrible yeah. people <laughs> just the worst it's so funny as time has gone by to how obsolete um some of the episodes are because of technology and the advancements of technology so many of these episodes um the the theme or the the problem that they're having wouldn't exist because of technology because of having a phone it's it's uh, very funny yeah yeah the cell phone solves most of the problems and then uh causes so a whole bunch of problems of yeah. would not exist if they weren't <laughs> friends with each other <laughs> that's true that's true yeah so uh you've got a metal and beer festival coming up uh up there in beautiful montreal uh tell me a little bit about that yeah, super excited. Um, Heavy Montreal presents Vox and Hops, brutal Montreal. Uh, it started uh, really back last February, this, this concept, this idea. Well, really before that even, I always wanted, I loved what Albert and Decibel have created with Metal and Beer Fest, obviously. I think it's just so damn cool. And I wanted to have something in my hometown like that. So why not? created. So, so last February, I came up with the idea of Brutal North America, where I paired metal breweries with uh, Vox and Hops alumni, the past guests of the podcast, to create killer collabs for their bands. Uh, through the pandemic, a lot of bands couldn't connect with their fans, so I wanted to uh, organize something where they could speak with their fans, they could uh, give something to their fans, something different, something cool, and what cooler thing to do than a craft beer collab breweries on the and, and in the same vein of everything breweries are struggling to create an event where metalheads and people that might not necessarily know the brewery but are fans of the band will come and discover a brand new metal brewery and they can get a whole bunch of new clientele really was a helpful thing for the getting breweries on board so i released 22 beer collabs the last week of june uh, all across North America and uh, in Canada, so the U.S. and Canada, and uh, it was a huge success. Uh, all the beers, uh, all the beers sold out super quickly. The bands were happy, the breweries were happy, and I was like, okay, look, this is step one. Step two, 
is uh, let's organize a show. Let's see if I can get a show happening and get craft beer in the venue, uh, have a bunch of sick bands play, a lot of Vox and Hops alumni, a lot of my friends. And then uh, step two, step three is to bring Brutal um, to different cities and then eventually have a full-fledged uh, Brutal North America, true one with a tour going across North America with metal and craft beer at the forefront. So, so the first one is happening uh, December 17th at Corona Theater, funnily enough. Um, the first show back for a lot of us musicians in a theater called Corona <laughs> when our touring lives were taken away from us from a virus called the coronavirus. Some of you may have heard of it. Uh, we've <laughs> super excited. Uh, I am very good friends with The Agonist and Cryptopsy and The Agonist were extremely tight. We hang out all the time. I've known The Agonist dudes since some of them, you know, I was in high school. So like the late nineties and uh, Cryptopsy could never play a show with them because our fans just don't fit. It doesn't work. They're, they're extreme, but they're melodic. Uh, Cryptopsy is very extreme. Uh, we tried to be melodic, but that didn't work. So we don't do that anymore. Uh, so I wanted, always wanted to play with them. We always were like one day we're going to like, you know, play Bakken together and we're going to cross each other at this festival and we're going to have so much fun. So it never happened. So I had to create my own festival to play with my friends. So, so Cryptopsy's headlining with the Agonist um, direct support. And then we got the great Sabatini, which is a really cool band uh, that I love from here in Montreal. Excellent, excellent band. And they are the band that makes the whole package make sense because they're sort of an oddball band themselves. They're like sludgy, uh, doomy, but like grindcore moments and very like spastic and all over the place, uh, but droney. And that is basically the band that makes the Agonist and Cryptopsy make sense. And then there's Necrotic Mutation, which is uh, a classic uh, death metal band uh, from here in Quebec, a very underappreciated, super sick band. And then Burning the Oppressor, who just got signed to Candlelight, that's opening up the night. And then there's a bunch of amazing craft beers all night. And it's it's just, it's so cool. I got really the best craft beer breweries from here in Quebec, uh, the top, the most hype, the, the ones that people stand in line for seven, eight hours when they release beers. I got their beers that will be for sale at Brutal Montreal. So it's, it's, I'm very excited. Yeah. I mean, uh, organizing something like that's a daunting task in normal times, but, uh, what was that like putting that together coming out of a pandemic? See, and here in Montreal, it's not over yet. It's, it's not like the States where you guys are having shows and tours are coming through. There have been basically no shows. So I'm very, very lucky to have been working with heavy Montreal, which is a, a huge, promoter here in Montreal. They are Montreal's premier metal promoter. Um, they are ran by Avenco and Avenco is ran by, I know there's, what's that big booking agency that, it will come to me later. The, the biggest North American booking agency that basically bought out all the other booking agencies um, a year or two ago. So I've been doing episodes for Avenco, for Heavy Montreal for the past week, past year. They do Heavy Montreal Presents, Vox and Hops episodes once a week. So I pitched the idea to a friend of mine that works there, JF, I love him. Shout out to JF, it would be impossible without you. And uh, I asked for his help, that's really how I did it. And I'm, you know, Vox and Hops and everything that I've been building throughout the past three years, uh, it's not just me and I'm not afraid to ask for help and to uh, look for people that have more experience when doing things. Uh, it's, it's the key thing to doing anything I've heard just recently 
that you always want to be the dumbest person in the room when you're setting up stuff like this. So I, I asked JF for his help. He's been putting on shows for probably 20 years now. He's been doing it with Eventco for a whole bunch of years and just killing it. Uh, so I let his expertise do the talking. I, <laughs> I picked the lineup. I chose all the beers, but uh, he helped me organize the show. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good point about, um, you know, looking to others for their expertise, because I think a lot of times uh, when we set out to do uh, pretty much anything on any sort of scale like that, uh, there's kind of this instinct to not ask questions because you don't want to, you know, feel like you're an idiot for asking a dumb question or something. But I think like over time, when you do enough stuff like that, you kind of realize that there's no dumb questions and most people are willing to share their experiences and help you out. Mm -hmm. And you really do want to be collaborating with people that are going to make you feel stupid for asking a question. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but but we were very lucky. We, we planned the whole thing. We sold the event as a, a full capacity uh, standing concert, uh, which means that there will be mosh pits. No one has a seat because I didn't want to play shows like that. And I didn't play a show like that with Cryptopsy. And I didn't do a live stream because I don't think that's what extreme metal is about. And a lot of bands did do that. And that's cool. And I'm happy that you did. And you got to keep connecting with your fans that way. But for me, my personal experience, I don't think that it would convey into representing what Cryptopsy needs. We need circle pits, we need loud music, we need sweaty fans, and, and that's what I like to portray and to give my fans and I like to receive back from them. So we sold the show as a full capacity and only recently, like on November 15th, was it permitted to have full capacity dance room Dancing is allowed now, which means we can have circle pits. So, so December 17th, uh, it's still looking good and we're moving towards that. So I'm very, very, very excited to see a room full of happy metalheads drinking great, great craft beer, doing circle pits with their masks on. And uh, I'm going to, you know, we're getting into shape so that we can be, perform as much as we can uh, to the best of our ability. Yeah. And is it um, maybe just like a little bit mind blowing that in three years you've been able to build the community that you have with Fox and Hops? Every day is I, I have to just look back and realize it's crazy what's happened. For me, um, going to dinner with my wife back in 2018, in April of 2018, and saying, I think I want to start a podcast and her helping me. She's the producer of the podcast now, helping me, you know, find the name, telling me, no, no, we need to pay for an artist to make you a logo. You know, <laughs> you need an episode template. No, you need this. And I was like, no, I, I could just, but he was like, no, you need this. <laughs> and then to every year, just things happening, you know, getting my first beer collab with Le Fermata for the one year anniversary where I interviewed Lord Worm live, you know, the original Cryptopsy singer. It was amazing. There was pack the room it's a small room but it was still packed 60 70 people were there to drink a beer with me and to listen to me ask lord worm questions and then fast forward to the pandemic hitting and then not doing it face to face anymore with my guests and not being backstage and evolving away from actually doing it with my friends to doing it with artists that i don't know because I'm getting hit up so much by publicists and managers to get their artists on the podcast because they can't tour. So everybody wants to promote in a brand new way. 
that was baffling. And then realizing that I'm talking to my childhood idols, that was another moment of, oh shit, this is happening. And then to releasing, you know, 33, 34, going on 35 beer collabs in three years and having more and more people want to do stuff with me. I'm very lucky that I came from Cryptopsy starting in 2007 and having been a musician since, you know, 1999, seriously starting to play in the Montreal scene in 2002, to have learned over time to appreciate these small victories, these small accomplishments. Because I don't know how you are, but I definitely was like that. And there's still a part of me that is like that is I'm never satisfied. I always want more. It's like I wanted to get signed to a record company. I did that in 2004. And then I wanted to go on tour. And then I did that in 2008 with Cryptopsy. And then I wanted to play Vakken. And then I did that back in 2014 or something. But I always want more. So I've been doing like a therapy, a mental thing to look back and really appreciate these small victories, accomplishments, and, and take time to, to relish that you have built something. And it's, uh, it's still a work in progress because I always want more, but I, I just trying to focus on the good things. And the community really came out of the pandemic. I had a bunch of listeners and followers up until the pandemic, but my online community really grew from me hanging out on Thursdays with people on the internet and drinking beer with them from across the globe, really. People from India, people from Russia, people from uh, the Ukraine, people from the States, people from Mexico, the Thirsty Thursday gang we're called. And uh, it's crazy. It's uh, I've made a whole bunch of amazing, amazing friends thanks to hanging out and drinking beer with them on the internet. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you mentioned this drive to just always, uh you know, outdo each thing and reach the next level. And uh, there's this thing that I've heard Henry Rollins talk about before uh, that I found very relatable where he creates like arch enemies for himself in his head and he has mm. to outdo them. And he wakes up every morning just filled with this drive and this sort of uh, manufactured like anger that he has to like overcome <laughs> so, that, uh, so that he can be better than the arch enemy that he's created in his head, you know? That's cool. <laughs> I have mo <laughs> mottos and mantras. Mantras are work, right? Yeah. Mottos. I have mottos is, is really how I've been going through since I'm in the, the podcast is running. The first year was baby steps towards greatness. That was year one. And it, it sort of happens as I'm walking to work or walking, prepping for the day, knowing what I have to do that day. And it's something that I repeat in my head. And it's not something I do consciously, it just happens. So year one was baby steps toward greatness. Uh, year two was uh, don't stop, just keep going. And then recently it's focus on the future, which I think is because I'm expanding the brand of what Vox and Hops is. It's more than just a podcast now. The podcast is the lifeline, but there's all these branches that are going out into different fields, uh, such as events, um, the beer collabs, the um, hosting things. Uh, it's really just evolving into interesting things. The music reviews, uh, just, yeah, so I'm just, constantly trying to stay in touch and focus with what the hell I have to do to keep moving forward. Yeah. And you mentioned that uh, your wife produces the show. Uh, I know during the pandemic, you also collaborated with her and with uh, artist uh, Jeannie Bond on two yeah. children's books. Uh, tell me a little bit about those and uh, how that came about. That's really my wife's idea. Really. We were 
something that she's been wanting to collaborate with Jeannie for for many years. They worked together a long time. Uh, Jeannie's extremely talented. Uh, Jessica always has, a, my wife Jessica, always has lots and lots of really good ideas, but we have two young kids. Uh, I'm in Cryptopsy, I'm on tour a lot. She's working, she's in school. Uh, the podcast takes up a lot of space. So for us to actually find time to actually accomplish one of her projects uh, was difficult and daunting, but the pandemic sort of gave us a little bit more breathing room, which is exactly what happened. So the first week, lockdown, second week, we basically have business meetings as we go out to walk with the kids and we talk out our ideas and she had this idea and I was like, I just encouraged her to do it. And we brainstormed on, on the idea. And basically it was basically the first book is called today we're staying home. And the, it's basically the life of a family in lockdown and trying to find the little positive moments uh, that you can have being locked into your house because of a global pandemic. And uh, it was beautiful. Jeannie did amazing artwork. Uh, we even snuck in a little childized version of the Vox and Hops logo into it. Um, I am an early childhood educator, so I helped sort of uh, push and uh, encourage them to keep uh, it simple and open and uh, to be used in a way to motivate discussions between parents and children, which was really the point of the book. And uh, it did really well. And then Jessica did it like an activity guide with a, uh, an art therapist uh, to expand upon the book where you parents and educators can take the book. And I helped collaborate that on that a little bit too, to, to, to open up into more activities to go with the book. The second book is, uh, was an idea that came right afterwards. I think we had three or four ideas immediately of concepts of what each book should be. The second one is uh, during that whole early moments of the pandemic when everyone was locked inside there was the whole rainbow movement of kids drawing rainbows and sticking them in their windows we would go outside for walks with my kids and we would go from rainbow to rainbow like to encourage them to move forward basically was the point of it and then that sort of created another idea of using art as a way to express emotions so that's really what um Hidden Rainbows is the name of that book, sorry. That's really what Hidden Rainbows is about, is um, using art as a form of uh, therapy and uh, to open up discussions about emotions and how children are feeling through art. Because as we know, musicians, we use art, I do, I use extreme metal and screaming as a cathartic experience to help mellow me out and zen out. And uh, not everyone knows or has the opportunity to, to do that, so. We wanted to use Hidden Rainbow as a way to give that to families, to educators, to children, that it's okay to feel something sometimes and it's better to talk about it and to express it, whether it be through dance, uh, through painting, through drawing. Um, yeah, it was awesome. And then Decibel covered both books and uh, posted a, a, a nice little um, piece about the both books and the picture in the book in decibel is actually my four-year-old daughter that took the picture and it took 15 minutes to get her to take a picture of no and we were like no just just we want us the books and our heads that's it because <laughs> it was in the middle of a lockdown no one can come in the house to shoot us you know <laughs> at first it was like just our heads are not there but the book is perfect you know that's hilarious but, yeah. <laughs> and um so we're working on other ones but you know life is life and we're back into full swing of everything else 
Yeah, and uh, what was life like uh, just as an early childhood educator in Canada during the pandemic? Well, we never stopped working. I, I stopped working for about three months, March. We stopped in March and I went back in June. So not March, April, May, yeah, three months. And uh, straight back into work, it was uh, really just for people that were essential workers. It was like an emergency service for essential workers. So uh, we just jumped back into work and we were, it was very isolated because every group was alone. We weren't allowed to mingle and we all had to wear the safety stuff, the mask, and we were wearing visors at first and then that went to goggles. And then we wore that basically for a year and a half until finally we don't wear the goggles anymore, but we still wear masks all the time. And uh, the bubbles have grown so that we're, we can mingle and interact with each other more. But um, the job remained the same. I still go to work and take care of young children and try to teach them a little bit about metal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, just a little bit. I think here in a lot of cases, uh, there were attempts to move, you know, even that age of education to like a remote environment. <laughs> but that's a very difficult prospect for that. Age. I, I know that I've also mentioned to you before that like I, for a living, I write about education all the time. So mm -hmm. this is stuff that's on my mind regularly too, where um, it's even before the pandemic, it was fascinating to me that in this country, uh, we don't fully fund early childhood education for everyone, even though there's decades of research that shows how important mm -hmm. it is for, you know, social emotional development and uh, for the development of just fundamental learning through the end of like third grade. Mm -hmm. But uh, during the pandemic, trying to switch that to a remote environment, as much as you can salvage some of it, it's really difficult to keep kids that age focused on no, no. a computer. And, and they, should, they shouldn't yeah. be on the computer. Yeah. So <laughs> no, I'm interact. happy we didn't do that yeah. here. No, so, so <laughs> I, I completely, no, I, I don't see it ever working. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's also hard to get them to not like touch each other too and to like keep their hands clean. <laughs> yeah, but we didn't, we, we, we chose to let kids be kids. Yeah. But I think that was our mentality where I'm in a very forward-thinking early childhood education center. Uh, it's renowned in the province for being one of the best. So uh, we're very, very, kids were allowed to be kids during the pandemic, but the bubbles are still there to, in case we have an outbreak, which we haven't had. And um, how do you like navigate sort of the duality between, uh, you know, being extreme metal dude and, uh, having like the early childhood educator thing. Cause it, it's interesting to me that sometimes I'll have people tell me that like, you're such a mellow dude. I don't understand uh -huh. why you're into this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, it, just my interests don't have to reflect who I am. Like I can go watch a horror movie. I'm not going to walk around stabbing everyone, you know? <laughs> no, I've always, my only jobs ever have been working with kids. I, I, I was 16 years old. I started working in a summer camp not a sleep away, but like a day I go home at night, they go home at night, summer camp. And I did that for I think eight to 10 years. Um, from there, I studied in early childhood education and I've been working in, I've been working with kids basically more than half my life. So I, I was, I got into extreme metal after that. So I don't know, you know, but it's the yin and the yang to who I am. It's the, the cathartic, you know, I'm, there's, I was an angry kid. 
and uh, through music, I learned to express myself. And I also enjoy hanging out and educating young children and making them laugh and chasing them around the yard doing death metal grunts. <laughs> it happens. I did it today. <laughs> I got to get my voice ready for my show. So I'm, I'm, I'm having lots of fun. But parents are cool. You know, typically I I wouldn't tell them about it until I was like leaving on a tour. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm leaving for six weeks. I'm going to tour Asia, you know, or something They're like, oh, why? And then I'm like, oh, I'm a singer of an extreme metal band. You're in and they don't believe me, you know, because I'm so calm and nice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh just like that that whole um just you know the duality of all of that of, of other people kind of wrapping their heads around it sometimes is uh it's kind of funny to watch <laughs> but it's, I, it's it's really the duality is really like the extreme metal people can't believe that i'm an early childhood educator and the parents and my coworkers can't believe that i'm an extreme death metal vocalist it's it's really the both it's it's i it is my life it's it, it, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's um, there's kind of a surprising number of uh, like metal and like hardcore punk people that I've met over the years who either go into K to twelve education or into higher ed. Uh huh. Uh huh. I've crossed a few as well. Uh, definitely, um, the dude in oh, Cabal. There's a dude in Cabal that works with young kids too. A, a Danish um, heavy metal band, extreme metal band. And do you ever find it also a little bit uh, interesting that for as much as there's, you know, the the portion of the metal population that's very into intellectualism and all of these sorts of things, there's the other portion that is just kind of like really drawn into goofy shit like conspiracy theories and just like caveman thinking. <laughs> well, we can't we can't choose everyone, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so it's all about respect. Um, It'd be good to encourage those people to learn to respect our thinking. And I think that us just giving them respect might motivate them to also return the respect. But, um, you know, they also enjoy shitty beer, I imagine. And that's okay, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, we all just have to kind of learn how to communicate better and build uh -huh. those bridges. Uh -huh. but it's like we're in this modern day and age where everyone has to agree with you if not you're not friends yeah yeah it's uh that's kind of been a weird thing for me to wrap my head around because um i don't really need for everyone that's around me to agree with everything you know mm -hmm. i apologize my son is crying but i he's not alone <laughs> I'm just, i don't know if you can hear him but I'm not neglecting him to sit here to talk to you. <laughs> His mother is with him. He's okay. <laughs> but no, absolutely. It's it's this time of, you know, French used to go and have dinners and talk about stuff around the fire and debate and then wake up the next morning and maybe they've learned something, maybe they haven't. And that's what friends were about. Nowadays, it's all about just patting each other on the back about, yes, yes, we agree. We agree with that so and it's even more apparent in the age of social media because you're meeting people not 
in your village anymore. Your village is anonymous. It's the world. So, so you're bound to find people that are going to agree with you or have read or watched the same documentary as you, even if it's full of false information. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I think I heard somewhere, maybe it was like a metal sucks podcast that, uh, you were a former new metal kid. Definitely a new metal child. Love it. Still love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I grew up at the, the, the reason why I like new metal and it, it was the era, but, um, I grew up listening to metal with my father in the car. My dad was a big hair metal fan. He was a big uh, Bon Jovi fan. Um, you know, he loved Poison. He loved Guns N' Roses. He loved the Black Album from Metallica. And I associated guitar solos with dad music. <laughs> so as I was getting into older, as I was getting older, sorry, anything that had a guitar solo in it, as cool as it was, I was like, this fucking dad music. I, I got, I got, I had to find, I was trying to find my own identity. Right. So then like my group of friends really got into like early Marilyn Manson and it was like scary and the imagery was weird and blasphemous. And it was like, you know, I went to church growing up. So that was like interesting. My parents didn't like it. So extra points they put up with it, but the whole shock value they, they weren't into it and then you know corn was huge uh deftones limp biscuit i i had limp biscuit cds but i didn't really i didn't like them as much as the other ones and then incubus and like it was just the area and then like slipknot that was huge just just that first album was amazing and i got the first album and then the next week slipknot came through montreal and i had never seen them outside of just the image on the cassette or the cd whatever i had and then I go to the show and here they are, they're opening, opening a show. Amazing. And they were scary. They were huge. There were so many of them. Just blew my mind. It was so cool. Love new metal. And I still listen to it. I go back. Some of those CDs are still really good. At first Slipknot one stands up. It really, really stands up. And there's a whole resurgence of new metal going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I still really kind of dig uh, Slipknot just from, from the perspective that they were really kind of the gateway band for me for getting into more extreme metal because mm -hmm. Joey Jordison's blast beats. Uh, and it's funny that I'm talking about this now because I just recorded episode 13, which is going to appear after this one uh, the other day with AC Slade from Dope. And we were talking yes. about uh, Joey Jordison, uh, you know, being kind of this this influence of, of bringing the blast beats from death metal and black metal into new metal and opening the doors for a whole generation or two of kids to discover like Satyricon and uh -huh. Cannibal Corpse and like all these other uh -huh. bands. Absolutely. And inspiring so many drummers, just, just so many drummers, so many bands uh, came from that era and, and the evolution of what new metal was. They really pushed the boundaries. Um, I feel like they're still exciting. Slipknot, even to this day, I, think, I feel like they're they're one of the ones that are still exciting. I I still respect Corn, but I, I I feel like they're not as creative as Slipknot is nowadays. Slipknot will still take chances, whereas Corn have like found their sound and they're not going to deviate from it, which is cool too. Yeah, you got to respect that. But but it's not. I, if I have to pick two, if I like. You know, the release day comes out and they both drop the same day. I'm going to listen to the new Slipknot before I listen to the new Corn. 
Yeah, I was uh, kind of talking about this uh, a, a year or so ago with a friend of mine at work, uh, where there's you look back at new metal and there's maybe like a few bands who have kind of transcended that genre and remained uh -huh. at the same level of popularity. Like the two Deftones. that immediately come to mind are Slipknot and Deftones. Yeah. And you look at like their lyrical content uh, compared to other new metal bands and like Deftones have just like this whole sensual vibe going on uh -huh. so that carries them, you know, beyond that. And then Slipknot, as opposed to having like, I'm angry at my mom and dad, or I'm angry at this girl that I was trying to hook up with. Uh, their whole vibe was just like, their lyrics are all just kind of deranged ranting. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't dug too deep into his lyrical content, but <laughs> people equal what? I don't remember. But uh... <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, on the first album, Eyeless, that you can't see California without Marlon Brando's eyes. That was just something they heard a homeless guy screaming in New York the day they went to sign their record contract at Roadrunner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, cool, cool. But then I was also, you know, like the new metal also like sort of deviated to like Tool sort of fits in was somewhat there, and Faith No More was a little bit in it. And it's interesting to see that these bands are still around and people are still interested in them. Yeah, and um, what was it like when you joined Cryptopsy, uh, especially just given that? you're taking over as the vocalist of a band that has the legacy that it has and has a, an, an original front man who sort of like left this, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase it. Uh, Cause Lord Worm is like a, a, a person unto himself. He's just cut from a different cloth. <laughs> He's an entity. He's an yeah. entity. So it was very difficult. I, I was completely unprepared to be the singer of Cryptopsy when I joined. Uh, and that's what the band wanted. They wanted something different. They wanted to go into a different um, direction. They wanted to have clean vocals come into extreme, extreme death metal. And that's what we did. Uh, the band was in a very fragmented state. Nobody knew what the hell. It wasn't a cohesive vision of, of what that album should be. And you can hear it when you go through it. There are songs that sound like one person's input and there's other songs that sound like another person's input. So it was very confusing entering the band. I came from a band called Three Mile Scream, which is a metalcore band. As much as everyone says that I'm a deathcore singer or was saying that I was, didn't even know what it was. I was a metalcore singer. I wanted to be basically the next in flames, the, the next um, kill switch engage. That's where I, my mindset was, but that's not what I wanted to bring to Cryptopsy. I wanted to bring something new. I wanted to bring um, something exciting. And I definitely attempted to do that. And I've listened to The Unspoken King about a few weeks ago, I think. And there's some interesting songs. It's definitely not a Cryptopsy album, but it was very difficult to, to join at that time. I was excited. I thought that, you know, it was the first time I was going to do these big tours and, and on stage in front of a lot of people night after night. I really, really enjoyed that. I liked meeting people. I like meeting musicians that I looked up to. Um, but, you know, Lord Worm was an entity. Lord Worm recorded Nun So Vile and then toured Canada a little bit and then left the band. And then Nun So Vile became fucking legendary. Okay. And then Mike DeSalvo takes over. They released two albums with him. And Worm didn't even know 
that it was so fucking popular or anything when he came back. He didn't understand. So they do another album with Worm and then Worm goes again. The fans are pissed. You know, there was this whole division between either you were a Lord Worm fan or you were a Mike DeSalvo fan. But at least I brought those two clans together to, to say they both didn't like me. So, so I, I've accomplished something in my life. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it took many, many years of touring and uh, talking to other vocalists and uh, practicing and exploring my voice to feel finally comfortable and actually have fun on stage versus just being terrified. <laughs> it's, it was a lot of work and uh, I'm, very, very comfortable and happy being Cryptopsy's vocalist. Now, it took many, many years to finally feel like I I got redemption from the Cryptopsy fan base, but it took a lot of work. Yeah, and I feel like every uh, extreme metal vocalist has their own different secrets to maintaining their voice. What mm -hmm. do you do to, to help your vocal cords survive, you know, the growling and the pig squills and everything? Um, just one more note on the Unspoken King thing. If you, if you listen to extreme metal bands now, all the most popular ones, they're all, all do using clean singing. All of them. <laughs> we did it in 2008. Just want to say that. But um, I warm up meticulously. I've, I've always been very meticulous with my voice. I'm very careful. I try to stay hydrated. I try to rest as much as I can when I'm on tour. I try not to speak too much in loud situations because when you force your voice in those circumstances, it's actually the worst thing you can do for your voice. And uh, no, I've been really lucky. I've, I've done, you know, 24 dates in a row, done longer in a row with no issues. So, so I just try to stay healthy and eat healthy and exercise and enjoy craft beers in moderation and uh, try to give the best show that I can. And you mentioned the album None So Vile. I know that there's also a Cryptopsy tea collaboration uh, called it's exactly, it's exactly, so Vile. exactly what I'm drinking right now. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> it's exactly what I'm drinking right, right now. It's really cool. Uh, uh, this was uh, something that happened uh, throughout the pandemic. I hit up uh, Dominic from Pitch Black north the satanic tea company uh my friend jerry monk the metal architect uh, said matt do you know about this they're canadian and i hit him up and he was like oh my god are you matt from cryptopsy and i had seen that they had done a, I was really looking for a sponsor for the podcast is really what i was i was i was hitting him up about because i was doing sober february which is something i do where uh, all of my episodes are framed about sober content either with guests who are sober or uh about sobriety or about having a, a balanced relationship with alcohol and drugs. Uh, so I was thinking, oh, it'd be super cool. We can, you know, I can drink a tea and my guests can drink a tea and we can talk about the tea. And then Dominic pitched me the idea of, well, why don't we just do a collab together? And I was like, cool, let's do it. Uh, and I remember like, oh, we should call it non so vile, but like none N-U-N instead of N-O-N, N-O-N-E uh, and make it as blasphemous as possible uh he pushed it a little bit more towards this this is actually uh, a reimagining of the cover of none so vile and she's holding a plate of hops because at the same time when i hooked this collab up i knew that in calgary new level brewing is there and drew ross is a vox and hops alumni love him to death and i pitched him the idea of making a cryptopsy collab with the none so vile tea in the beer 
this, by the way, is a black tea, the lavender black tea with hops in it. So there's actual hops in it because of the beer collapse. So, so this tea went into a beer, also called Nunsovile. That was a lavender sour. And this one's actually got, there's like little hop flowers and it's really, really, really cool. There's like nuggets and stuff. And just like hop flowers. It's really, really awesome lavender. And the beer was amazing too. Um, might be gone by now, but there's definitely some tea still left on Pitch Black North. Go check it out. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, tell me a little bit about the uh, voiceover work that you've done in some video games. I know recently you provided the uh, voices for some aliens in the Guardians of the Galaxy game. I know in the credits next to your name, I also saw Alyssa from Arch Enemy. Uh, so how does all that come together? Well, it's actually all because of this little thing right here, La Fabrique des Monstres. Uh, my friend, uh, Sébastien Crateau of Necrotic Mutation, who's playing Brutal Montreal, Vox and Hops alumni, he has been doing this for years. So, so he basically gets hired by a bunch of uh, video game companies, movie companies, TV shows to do monster voices. Why? Because before, back in the day, how these voices, these creature voices were created is that there would be a dude in a studio that would take like a warthog, with like a gorilla, they would put it together and edit it and then try to make it fit the monster's mouth and try to make it work. And then, and you know, like, and then every, in a video game context too, it's like, you have to do every sound, you know, like an effort, like, and then like, he's jumping up higher. So he has to do all of these sounds with these warthog and gorilla sounds and it would take for fucking ever. The other option is you bring in a voice actor to do it. And a lot of the voice actors have in their contracts, they can only go for 35 minutes of harsh voice acting. So they need to come back and come back and get paid a lot of money to do that. So Sebastian realized this, that we're, he's a professional. He could screen for hours on end and he can match exactly to what the character is doing on screen with perfect timing because that's what we do on stage all the time. So he's been doing this for years and very slowly, but surely he started building up his monster factory, La Fabrique des Monstres, where he included more and more extreme metal vocalists from Montreal, uh, such as Alyssa from Arch Enemy, myself, uh, Simon from Beyond Creation, and there's uh, Vicky from The Agonist, just, just keeps growing and growing and growing. And um, he, we worked on Guardians of the Galaxy. It was really, really cool. I can't talk too much about it because we signed NDAs about it, but it was really, really fun experience. And uh, I just did another thing with the, the, the crew a few days ago, last Friday. There was 15 of us um, screaming like zombies. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a, uh, a dream video game that you would want to do some voiceover mm. work for? I love video games and I really, really do like them a lot, but um, I don't have time to play video games anymore. I, I, it's one of the things I love hockey. I used to watch every hockey game on Montreal Canadiens. Um, love video games, but since I've had kids and since I have the podcast, I don't have time for those things in my life anymore. So I don't play video games anymore, but I love them. I really, really like them. I just don't have the time. Yeah. And I miss hockey too, but we suck. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've um, I've kind of uh, fallen into this pattern where I keep up with hockey off and on now because there for a while I'm a Blackhawks fan 
And yes. there for a while, we were a dynasty. And then yes. it all just kind of slowly crumbled, as all dynasties do. <laughs> Here's a pitchy, touchy, touchy. Why, why in the world where, where everything is politically correct, why can the Blackhawks still have that logo? So from what I have understood, and this doesn't convey my 100% support of it one way or the other, but... Uh, from what I understand, the organization has a relationship with the tribe okay. and they give them money and things of that nature. And there's part of the argument that they make is that they're, um, it's not like a derogatory representation the way that the logo is. Um, mm -hmm. The way that other like football teams have had them. Yeah, yeah, because uh, DC's football team uh, definitely had a derogatory term as their name. Mm -hmm. And the Cleveland Indians baseball team, uh, which I think is now the Cleveland Guardians, definitely mm -hmm. had a caricature for a mascot. Okay, I understand. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, it's the, uh, the complex uh, mental gymnastics <laughs> that we do to justify one thing over another. Uh, yes, and, it, and they're, they're, they're an original six. Am I crazy about that? I believe so. Okay. That that's also probably one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think it's wrong. But <laughs> yeah, no, I've uh you know, I've seen some pretty good arguments for turning the mascot into like an actual like black hawk bird. And there's like mock-ups of bird mascots. So I think it's really just kind of a matter of getting the bulk of the fan base behind that. Mm-hmm. Winning a winning year with it. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta get you gotta get them on like a, a nice string of uh back to back Stanley Cup wins where they won't care so much that you're gonna do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've uh I've had you for about uh 50 minutes now, I think. Uh, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we plugged uh, before I let you go? No, we got we we hit it all. We hit we hit we hit. Everything. I'm sure there's something when I get off this other. Oh, I didn't talk, want to talk about it. I'm releasing a beer, another beer, uh, Folly <laughs> Brewing and Meet Me for Coffee podcasts uh, in Toronto, December 4th. I'm uh, going to be there. We're going to do a live podcast recording uh, in the afternoon, 3 to 5 p.m. It's going to be super cool. It's a coffee stout. Um, it actually came from a Vox and Hops episode, the beer. Um, I've known George, the host of the Meet Me for Coffee podcast for many years. And I was like, dude, why don't you have a coffee? Why aren't you selling coffee for your podcast? You have a coffee podcast. And I was like, dude, if you make a coffee, I'm going to get us a beer collab. And the very next day, the day that the episode went live, uh, Jamie Morris, uh, who used to be at Henderson Brewing that I've done collabs with in the past, hit me up and he was like, I want to make that beer. So George made his coffee and now we have a beer coming out. And now I have a uh, beer, a coffee, and a tea to check out. <laughs> <laughs> There's also a, a non-so-vile coffee from Grind Cork Coffee Company. That's really cool. I have two coffees to check out now. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, from uh, the brutal North America, at some point, uh, next time I see Stavros from the Atlas Moth, He's yes. uh, supposedly hanging on to one of their beers for me. So we'll see oh. if, it, uh, if it lasts because I'm allegedly moving back to Chicago uh, in the spring. So hopefully it, uh, it, 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 it's a fruited sour. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, that beer sounded delicious. I didn't get a chance to taste that one. Yeah. Can't go wrong with Wake. <laughs>
Yeah, it's a that's a brewery that I need to check out when I get up there. I know uh, mm-hmm. where I'm at in DC right now. Uh, I've become a big fan of Adroit Theory. Uh, anytime that I can get a chance to go out there, uh, I love doing that. The Death of Cthulhu and uh, What Evil Lurks, both amazing mm-hmm. beers. DC Brows in, in in DC too. Yeah, yeah, I've uh, I've been They're out really there cool. a few times, and uh, yeah. there's one that does some metal shows and their name is slipping my mind right now oh interesting um, interesting there's commonwealth brewing that's out there too really good yeah yeah atlas it's atlas brew works they do uh metal okay. shows out there very cool writing it down <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thanks again for joining me today matt it's uh been a thank pleasure. you thank you it's a pleasure cheers everyone